Hi, Wanderlusters. In this episode, we're visiting the Kaura wine region. Welcome to the Wanderlust podcast. My name's Janine and I run a wine events business in Canberra. But my real passion is travel and my bucket list is to travel to every wine region in the world. In this series, I'll be exploring some regional Aussie wine destinations. I'll give you some tips whether you're planning a romantic getaway, a girls weekend, or you're dragging the kids along. Pour yourself a glass and let's get exploring. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're talking about today, the Wiradjuri people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So you might know of Kaura because of its Japanese gardens, but do you know much else? It's located in western New South Wales, and to get there you have to turn off the Hume Highway, which is the major road between Sydney and Melbourne. This is full of Australian countryside. There's lots of hills full of different grades of greens and browns, although a lot more green this year than I've seen it in the past, which was really great to see. There are long stretches with big gum trees lining the roads and other stretches full of paddocks with cows and sheep meandering around and other paddocks full of farming and crops growing. It's about four hours from Sydney and only two hours from Canberra, not far from Orange and Mudgee and parks, lots of country towns with lots of things happening. It was a township that grew from the establishment of a cattle farm in the region in the 1830s. It has a very rich modern history also. During World War II, it housed a huge prisoner of war camp and it's where the largest POW breakout happened during World War II. Through this experience, Kaura has developed a very deep and emotional connection with Japan. The Kaura wine region encompasses areas around the towns of Kaura and Kanoundra, which are about 30 minutes from, away from each other. The main thing that struck me with visiting the wineries in this region and speaking to the owners and winemakers is the real commitment to being organic. The foundations of this forces the winemakers and grape growers to really think about how they do things in a sustainable and ecological way. And I found this really, really interesting. The first winery established in the region was Windowry Wines by the Odea family. And I got to sit down and chat with second generation of the family, Jason Odea. We met at Jason's family home, located between Kaura and Canoundra. When Dowry have expanded and grown and now have several labels, with Jason will chat us through. We also talk about the move to being organic, and I get a tour of the biggest compost mound I have ever seen. I really appreciated Jason's time to meet and chat with me. Welcome, Jason, from Windowry Estate Wines. Pig in the house, Pinot Gris. Oh, fantastic. Cheers and welcome. Cheers, thank you very much. It's nice to meet you, yeah. especially on a Sunday afternoon, taking time out. That's right, I was working anyway, so it's a break. Break <laughs> for a glass of wine. Yes, excellent. Now, this is a big family business from what I understand. Correct. And you guys have been in the area for a really long time. You're... Yeah, so Dad uh, went to university in Richmond to uh, Hawkesbury Ag. Mm-hmm. And then he bought the farm in 1958, and uh, he was a wheat, wheat sheep farmer until the late 80s, and then he planted vines in the late 80s. And so, what made them go into the the vines? Uh, because because the wheat and the canola and everything would had a couple of years of drought and it wasn't going well, and he got a working group over from Orange Ag, and they had a whole relook at the business. What can we do? 
and I thought, okay, I'll try a little bit of intensive agriculture. So I did a bit of cherries and fruit and vineyard. And then the late 80s, the vineyard began to take off. Yeah, did you, yeah. what did you have grown first? So the blockers you came in there, um, Chardonnay, Cabernet, Shiraz. But Chardonnay, that would have been the glory days. Yeah, glory so days. fantastic. Had, had a name in the Rothbury Chardonnay, was one of the biggest in the country Great. at that time. Yeah, there was high demand for that variety from this region. Notice on your website, your mum is known as Wiz, and then there's Steph, Doe and Nook. And how come you're the only one without a nickname? (laughs) (laughs) I get called a lot of things. (laughs) Don't worry about that. I I control the web. (laughs) (laughs) Mum was Elizabeth. Oh, right. That's how she became Wiz, and Steph, Stephen, Doe, Dimity... Nook is Petrina. So. You're quite a large business now. Like you've got several different labels. Yeah, yeah. If we go, yeah, we'll go. Yeah, because you've just poured us a beautiful pig in the house Pinot Gris. Yeah. So this is an organic range. That's right. So 20 years ago, when my first born came along, my wife and I thought we don't want chemicals in the vineyard around the house. So we converted to organic and we were going to a trade fair. We couldn't think of a name and we thought, oh, what, what, are, what are we known for here? And that. Uh, the former owner of where we are was a pig farmer and he used to let them into the house. <laughs> so we went up to the trade fair with a funny name written on a tag. And So we've been organic for 20 years and we're doing preservative-free as well as organic now, but that's our, that's our main range, um, most widely available. The other one you've got here is PF Organic. Yeah, so that's, that's a preservative-free. Oh, right. So no yep. sulphur added during winemaking or at bottling. Yeah, people are looking for it and... You know, if you can make the wines good or better, then yeah. why not? Yeah, definitely. A lot easier with the to make preservative-free in the red, we've found. Just the higher alcohol gives a bit of cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whites are a bit trickier. But you've got another label, the um, the Natural Wine Company yep. label. Preservative-free as well. Mm. Yeah. And it's a, like a lower alcohol? Yeah, we have one with lower alcohol, about 8%. Mm. Is that midweek drinking? Wine. That's uh, two ladies can finish a bottle. Four, four <laughs> standard drinks, so you've only had two each and you can maybe not drive home, but yeah. you could definitely walk home. Walk home. <laughs> so no elk has grown very quickly. Yes. Uh, lower elk, it's a bit of a funny one. They don't exactly know where to put it. Okay, well, you're not a normal wine, but you're not a no wine. You're a, it takes a bit of yeah. bit of work to get it moving. And I get... think you're right, though. In a, the next few years, there will be a category sort of for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Oh, it's coming. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And you've got the family reserve in the yep. mill range. Yeah, and... so we have yeah, three tiers, really. So Windowry is the farm name um, as the umbrella of everything. And then under that, we have the family reserve, pig in the house and the mill yep. range. Yeah. And I just picked up a bottle of your Sakura. Like, it's got yep. the beautiful cherry blossom yep. label. Yeah. Can you tell me about that wine? So that's quite that, a premium one, by that, the, from what yeah, I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. So we have been exporting to Japan for around 15 years now. Interesting journey with, the, with our importer. So 15 years ago, in Japan, it wasn't talked about. So the war wasn't talked yes. about much, POWs. But in the last 15 years, um, that's changed a lot. And now there there are Japanese uh, prisoners of war in a cemetery in Kara. Mm-hmm. So uh, I believe it's the I believe the area they're in is part of Japan. So it's it's one oh, of the right. only uh, worth a look. Yeah. Uh, if you get a minute. Yes. Yes. Um, so they're developing it. Um, mm. 
But, you know, through those years of exporting to Japan, I believe there was a big, uh, like, millionaire question right at, in Japan, and that sort of opened Kaura right up to wow. the Japanese market where the answer was Kaura. Yes. So that wine, um, that is all about friendship and cherry blossom in Japan. Mm-hmm. Key time of the year for them. Yeah. So every year around November we we do a, a run for that and it's exported to Japan. We've been doing it for about probably 10 years now. Oh, fantastic. And it's primarily aimed at that Japanese market, but we do a little bit locally. Yeah, well, Kara Tourist Information yeah, Centre has yeah, a good stock, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> so that was good. But if people are looking to visit the region, we have our annual event uh, here in the vineyard or right here. Oh, fantastic. What's um, that? Tell us. It's a long lunch. Mm-hmm. We have limited to 100 people because that's all we can fit on the veranda here in case it rains. 100 people? That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but it's a great yeah, great weekend. So, yeah, keep an eye out for tickets on the web. Final weekend of October. Yeah, there'll, there'll be info coming out in July. It's, it's a good party. To, oh, that yeah. sounds so much fun. Yeah. Okay. In this next section, we head outside to the vineyard and to the biggest compost that I've ever seen that's organised in this huge long line. With the organics, we try and make all our... Uh, fertilizer on farm mm-hmm. by making uh, compost out of local materials. So, one we're about to look at now is um, the grape mark from the winery. So, whatever's <laughs> left out of the winery. Yep. And we've added chook poo, cow poo, oh, wow. olive uh, waste from a factory down the road. And then uh, we're mixing it all up and we'll end up with a fertiliser that then we put out on the vineyard because oh, uh, wow. being organic, you can't use yes. synthetic yeah, fertiliser. Yeah, of course. That's so interesting. All right, let's have a look at it. So we've got about, uh, I think we've got about four or 500 tonne here cooking away. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a matter of uh, working out your carbon and your, your nitrogen and uh, feeding enough carbon and then it all... Uh, does its thing and cements and we end up with the fertiliser. That sounds really complicated, like working that out. Is that difficult? Uh, well, there are various rules with organic around how you can and can't make your compost. The main thing being you have to have 30 to 40% carbon in the, in the brew, which for us is hay or old cardboard. We, we use as long as there's no uh, print on the cardboard, we can use cardboard. It's a good source of carbon as well. Wow. Wow, that's so interesting. So what you've got to do is you've got to raise the temperature of it. Wow. Add water and keep flipping it. Mm-hmm. And all the carbon here will get eaten, eaten up and converted. But you can, I don't know if you want to feel that, oh. but you can feel the heat. The heat that's in there. Oh, that is quite warm actually. Yeah, and when you get into the middle of that, it'll be very... So very this hot. is a big job to keep this... Like, you would yeah. have to keep moving it around? Yeah, you have to keep flipping it. Yeah, so you know, right. You've got to have air, water and carbon, and, a, and it does its own thing. We've got another line up there from last year. So this will halve again, probably, by the time it's done. And then you'll use that and put it onto the... Onto um, the vineyard. Onto yeah. the vineyard. And so yeah. when would you put that onto the vineyard? Like um, We will put that out in August. Oh, right. Yep. So it's got the whole growing season sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. At the yep. end of winter. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. Yeah. So the nutrients are then available for the new year. Yeah. 
fantastic. So the amazing thing about the Cowra Canoudra region is the guys that are making bottled wine, uh, I think it'd be 80%, 90% are, are organic. Mm. There's probably no other region in the country where it's that high. That high, yeah. We don't have a lot of a lot of players, but all of them are, uh, you know, a lot of them are farming organically. Yeah, that's fantastic. Please note that despite signs in Cowra pointing to a cellar door, the cellar door is not open any longer. But their wines are featured in many of the local restaurants and bars, plus you can find them in some of the major chains such as BWS, Dan Murphy's and Chambers in Sydney, as well as many of the independents. My next guest is Antonio from Antonio's Wines. He hails from South Australia from Italian parents. We met outside on a glorious winter morning. It was a bit cool, but it was lovely and sunny. I loved his ethos about simplicity and producing good quality wines, and you can tell his obvious passion and commitment to being organic. I really appreciated Antonio's time to meet and chat with me. Welcome, Antonio from Antonio's Wine. Thank you for your time, Antonio, no for joining me today. So we're at your vineyard and we're going to go for a walk. What grapes have we got here? Oh, so at the moment we're, we're standing in front of our Prosecco vineyard. Right. We planted this a number of years ago um, and it is organically farmed, uh, which has caused, uh, caused a few uh, small challenges that we're looking to overcome. But, you know, slowly but surely we are uh, getting to a point where we're looking at increasing our, our yield moving forward into future years. This is a variety that we've been more making and selling for some time now and it's one of our more popular wines so we're quite excited that we have more vines and more yield coming into production which means that we can fulfil the, the needs of the market because it's becoming more and more popular. I saw in town um, one of the pubs had Antonio's new Prosecco, yummy. <laughs> so that's yes. good, good marketing there. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, like, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point that you've made. Being from a southern Italian family, we... Like we don't necessarily pride ourselves on the finer things in life, but we do pride ourselves on having uh, generosity and having flavoursome foods and, and wine for that matter. And, and we, we also like to keep things quite simplistic. Like we don't want to overcomplicate things. So we, we like to keep things really simple. Uh, we like to go smooth sailing. And I just like use, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that exemplifies what we try and do. We try and make quality wines, varietal wines, but wines that just simply taste good. Oh, awesome. You're saying that sheep wander around in, in this part or just in different... Oh, just in that part. In that part there, down yeah. there. It's probably, yeah, so it's not an ideal thing. We have had cows in here before. <laughs> cows are really fantastic, the nutritional value of their waste. There, there's issues with sheep and how they eat grass. They really select what they're eating because mm. they're eating with their teeth and their mouth and their lips. Whereas cows actually use their tongue to like grab a whole range of fodder. So it's not just what they prefer, they're taking less desired things as well. So you yeah, get an right. even, a more even graze. The other thing is cows uh, do leave their waste where they're standing, so they don't take it away from the vineyard. And what's also great about cows, there's two other things. Dung beetles come up from the soil and then take it back down again. Yep. So that means that the, the, the soil's been aerated, but also the waste is being buried underground mm. and then also the the gut bacteria the cattle have uh, is really good for actually it has all the microorganisms to actually break down all the grasses so during spring and the growing season when we actually come through and mow our vineyard what we do is we side throw so that means that we throw all of the grass clippings that we've mown yep. 
to undervine, so that creates mulch. And in an ideal ecological system, we would like that mulch to then be broken down. The exact bacteria that you need and microorganisms that you need to break that um, grass down or that mulch down is what the cat, like the cattle, are leaving behind. Right. So we, whilst they're bigger bodies and they can cause more damage within within the vineyard <laughs> infrastructure, uh, we aim to like get really quiet cows, smaller bodied cows, so like you know calves that have just been weaned, and we find that we get a really good result mm. with them. Um, there is so much extra thought that has to go into when it's organic, isn't it? I guess being organic, we're forced to question how we can do things in a, in a more sustainable and ecological manner. Yeah. It's one of the foundation principles of, of being organic. So we ask ourselves that question, yeah. how can we achieve certain things in a natural way? So the great thing about cattle is that we don't burn mm. diesel. Um, they, do, they have all of these positive benefits. Like that way of life and way of thinking is what my family has done in the south of Italy for generations as well. Mm. Like, I was born in Australia, but you don't have to go far, like back many generations, i.e. my parents, who did live a, a wholesome lifestyle, a subsistence farming lifestyle, that did focus on those type of principles. So when people say, oh, you're only going organic because of marketing purposes, or it might be, you know, you might be able to charge more for your wine or whatever, I'm like, no, well, actual fact, like, this is what we've always done for generations and you know something that I you know this style of farming or this mentality is quite close to my heart so it's something that I think I I have always aspired to do and um, uh, yeah it's just something that we're really proud of oh that's great that's really great it's good carrying on that family tradition. Now, were your parents winemakers in Italy? Yeah, absolutely. So my my uh, father and mother hail from the, the same region, and that's Campania. That's near Naples. Mm-hmm. And some of the varieties from that area are now becoming slightly more popular in Australia. And, and some of those varieties are, like, there's a very famous white wine from Avellino, which is Fiano. It's becoming a bit yes. more popular in Australia. So we've just planted some Fiano right. now. And... Other varieties which are not that common in Australia, but Greco di Turfo is one. Mm. Another one is um, one that my father appreciated making wine from was Coda di Volpe. So Wolf's Tail uh, is effectively uh, the the name of the variety. And then where my mother's from, uh, closer to Benevento, uh, and she's quite close to the Puglia region, um, the varieties that they had were varieties like Uva di Troia, uh, and also Alianico, which is a, uh, a nice uh, spice, acid-driven, uh, medium-bodied red, which we've also planted here as well. Wow, fantastic. Absolutely. There's a lot of varieties I haven't heard of before, so that sounds really exciting. So when do you expect a vintage of those? Uh, in, the, in the coming years, we'll be harvesting. Um, so we're just working, uh, just the other day I was working through a plan on how to, to best manage them during this winter period with, re- with regard to pruning and and some sort of arduous uh, weed management that we must undertake by hand because, <laughs> you know, we're organic and, yeah. and that's and that's how we do things. But the other thing is, like, part of the reason why we did plant these varieties and head down this path is quite uh, sentimental. Like, I, when I was in my younger years, I graduated from university and I travelled to Italy and I, with, with the idea that uh, I would like to maybe move there and, and live there full-time making wine... Um, that didn't eventuate. Um, one of the reasons being is because I really love Australia. I'm, I'm very much a, a, a young, a young Australian at heart, and so I came back to Australia. And it was just by coincidence that I moved to an area within Australia that is quite similar to where my parents are from. You only have to look 
just to the north of us and you can see Mount Canobolis on the horizon. Yes. Now Mount Canobolis has does influence the, the climate where we are here quite significantly with regard to soil types. There's just basalt soils from Mount Canobolis, uh, the, one of the eruptions just over the hill here. Oh um, yeah, because it's a volcano, isn't it? Yes. Absolutely right. And we're about 70, 80 kilometres away from Mount Canobolis. And you look at a map of the south of Italy, mm. and my parents are only 70, 80 kilometres from uh, what is a, a volcano being Vesuvius. So wow. I think that story is really fantastic. So I sort of liken this area as being my home away from home, so to speak. And, and having planted these varieties does give me an opportunity to execute a, a winemaking fashion or a style that, that we as a family have, have done for... Uh, a long time but just in Australia so oh, this is almost yeah this is almost um, as close as I could get within Australia to what my dream was when I was in my 20s traveling <laughs> to Italy wanting to to move there and live there so I guess I I, I couldn't do that so I've, I've made my own uh, fulfilled my own dream yeah. here yeah and I saw that you um, have traveled all over the world like I guess it sounds like it's the Italian roots and the Italian heritage that's really inspired you the the most yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But and and a part of that is because in Australia, like generally speaking, it's been the French varieties that have been the main varieties mm. in Australia, and we're just at a point now where they're becoming slightly less popular, and and other varieties, more medium-bodied, uh, you know, savoury styles of wine are are coming to the fore, and and a part of that is selecting varieties that are better suited to particular areas. When we've gone ahead and looked at which varieties may be best suited to here, we have considered, well, what does get grown in the south of Italy? So the area where I refer to, you know, around yeah. Avellino and, and Benevento, uh, and with those varieties that we mentioned earlier, it does have a very similar climate to here. It can be quite warm in summer. They too have some considerable rainfall uh, during the growing season, and they manage that. Um, yeah, so I, I just think the, the, the varieties themselves are quite well suited to mm. Australia in general. And how's 2023 looking, the vintage? Yeah, fantastic. Look, we've had our challenges. Um, the growing season late last year was wet and the, the biggest challenge for vineyards was spraying at the critical times. So with vines, every time, you know, before or after it rains, depending on your, your method of production, um, you need to apply sprays. Sometimes the period in between rain events is too short where you can't apply spray to every part of your vineyard we were challenged in that regard but we you know there are days where we worked around the clock to make sure that we covered everything uh, but then also there are issues with when the soil's wet and you're traveling through the vineyard with heavy machinery you can get bogged i and i'm happy to say of all of the regions and in all of the farming practice uh, viticulture practices that i've heard of most people in every region were getting bogged in their vineyards we being organic didn't mm. and i'm so happy to say that the part of the reason why we why we didn't get bogged is because we've got 25 years of organic matter and and healthy soil structure in our soils mm. that i believe has contributed to us not getting bogged moving on um, after that sort of wet spring we you know uh, mother nature turned the taps off um, the rain stopped for a number of months and it was, right. just, it was just perfect for the vines to ripen. So Fantastic, yeah. We had lovely, elegant whites, good medium to full-bodied reds, so a very, very good year. Wouldn't wish it every year, no. but we... <laughs> the, the rain is stressful, isn't it? Like, it just <laughs> sounds really stressful. 
Please note Antonio runs tours of his vineyard regularly through the year and you can book these through his website. If you are a larger group, then get in touch and he may be able to meet with you by appointment. So what wines to try? Cara was built on the traditional varieties of Chardonnay, Shiraz and Cabernet Sauvignon, but it has expanded to include a lot more Italian varieties as well now. Many of the wineries there don't have cellar doors or are not open every day, so you will need to check and make bookings in advance. Other wineries with cellar doors include Rosnay and Wallington. The Tourist Information Centre in Cowra, which is located next to a rose garden and next to a very busy McDonald's, has a great range of local wines and does seasonal tastings there. It's well worth a visit and I know I picked up a few wines to enjoy back at home. Other things to see and do. The Cowra Winter Wanderlust is coinciding with the Cowra Wine Show being held in late July. And as you heard, in October is the Windowry Estate Wine Lunch. Links to both of these will be on the podcast show notes. As noted, Kaura has a rich World War II history and connection with Japan. The former POW camp is now a park with memorial statues and a hologram at certain times of the day. Outside this park, there are some huge silos that have been painted with beautiful murals of children playing, which is really striking against the beautiful blue on a sunny day. There's also a Japanese cemetery nearby with former prisoner of war graves. The most popular attraction is the Japanese gardens, which are truly beautiful. In town, there is also a big peace bell that was made from coins donated by 106 member countries of the United Nations. This was installed in 1992 and you can go up and ring it yourself. In nearby Canoundra, there's a fish fossil museum and my son had a great time at It's a really interactive museum and they have great resources and you can even join a mailing list and they'll send you little activities. Canoundra is also famous for hot air balloons. It's known for its perfect flying conditions and there's an annual international hot air balloon challenge held each April. Canoundra is also home to a hotel run by local personality, Tommy Jeffs. Tommy has a long history in hospitality and is really passionate about contributing to the local community and being proud of your local area. Whether you're after a room, a full house, hosting a high tea or a dinner, then you might consider Montrose House. It's full of beautiful themed rooms and you're going to love this chat that I had with him and all his wonderful stories. Welcome Tommy Jeffs. This is interesting because I've done sunrise in this room. Oh, have you? Uh, better homes and gardens. Oh. We're going. It's just it's going ahead, you know. Like we've done five new businesses in the last month here. Oh, really? It's just this town because it all we all work together, uh, and we've got a really good business chamber. What's happening is a lot of the older ones who are passing or going into old time. The homes are being sold to professional people. So you've got video officers, you've got cartoonists, you've got lawyers, you've got... And people, because 40 minutes to Orange, fly to Sydney. We get a lot of the movie people. Nicole Kidman and Keith have been here. Hugh Jackman, Deborah Lee Furness, because they come here and they don't take photos. Yeah. They can dag out here. Yes. Um, And the boys go to golfing all day, the women will go to the wineries, and that's the best thing about it. It's, It's... 
as they said, they don't go out in Sydney or Melbourne because they get harassed so badly, so they come. Hugh said to me, you know, he goes in there and has a beer. People just know it's him and acknowledge him. He said, you know, and the, you know, the first weekend they were here because Kate Blanchett had a property out at Wyinga Dam and she rang up and she said, can you take some friends, Tommy? Because my friend um, looks after her hair when there's a photo shoot and she, the hairdresser's from here. And she said, I said, yeah. She said, can you pick them up? So it was Hugh and Deborah and four of their friends, three couples, anniversary. Um, we did the front room I did up as George Cooney's Lake Como house with the red velvet, gold plates, Italian food. And they loved it. And he said, we were cooking breakfast on the Sunday morning. And Deb just said to him, big fella, go and get the papers. And he just strolled up the sheet in shorts and a T-shirt. And I always say to the ladies, you know, you're, you're Princess Diana, I'm Paul Burel, I'll be looking after you. And they get, you know, afternoon tea and they have nibblies, they have dinner. Uh, they look around and it's it's a good base because they can go out. You've got great wineries. This group's coming to town and they're turning a canander into a little bit like Barrel or Berry without the snob- without mm. the elitist, I think you call it. Yeah. But they're coming out and they're just thinking, oh, my God, this is brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. it's a great this. town, yeah. yeah. And it's clean. We, we work on the, the, the American thing, you know. Good morning, how are you? What can we get you? Can we help you there? You know, that service. great thing, the service sort of thing. And with the smile, and you know, that's all people want. And when you get reunions where yeah. the people take the house over, if they've got people staying at the other places, I'll just say, utilise this place. You know, summertime where you can put chairs out mm. in that front lawn, sit out there and have drinks and things like that. And it's the same thing here. And it's just got that really, really nice feel where... It's beautiful without being, you know, some places you go to and think, oh, shit, I'm not, done. I'm not going to touch, touch that. Anything, you can actually go, oh, my God, I love this. This yes. is really good. And so you have people come here for big gatherings. You've got the... So you've got Southampton, Southampton, Southampton down there. So that's a small one. That's for 12. Conservatory takes 10 to 12 people for breakfast or lunch. So summertime, is, it's just the most beautiful room. You get mm. that sunshine first thing on. The, the formal room at the front is fabulous. It's, it seats 38. We do Christmas in July here. Oh, great. So that's good. People come out and have a weekend. But we do Christmas in July here and the house is dressed up. And you can just imagine being David Jones. And people yes, just go, oh, my God. Yes, you were selling me. You used yeah. to be yeah. the window. So I was working with Carlotta before Carlotta was Carlotta. So I was working with Carlotta when he was Robbie from um, Balmain. Wow. So I watched that transition. So we worked in Mark Foy's. That was early 60s. And then Mark Foy's when it closed... Then we went to David Jones, and it was just fabulous. So we, we were the window dressers there. Um, then I got into modelling, um, which was fabulous. So I was Trent Nathan's muse, oh, so yeah. beautiful oh, four double-breasted suits and things like that. So we do, you just walk around the menswear floors with a card saying first floor, second floor menswear. We do a parade at 11 and a parade at 3, so five days a week. It's just the best life. Then when my sister got sick, I moved back here, and this came up. And it had been abandoned for two or three years. So there was no there's no floor coverings, no light fittings. Wow. There was nothing. And uh, I just came in. I said, I'd love to lease it. And she said, why don't you buy it? And I said, that was on the Friday. Signed the papers on the Monday. Wow. And uh, came in and I got a lady in that talk colours with me, um, a lady that measured curtains, and it took six weeks. And this is eight years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, and out the front, um, that was just all rubbish. There was nothing there in front of the two front areas there. So I had these two great guys come in that were gardeners, and I said, English, rah, 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 and they did that. And then we just worked it. So you had 
air conditioning people, you had security guys, you had that were setting security, you had light fitting people, yeah. you had painters, carpet guys, people putting carpet down and it was insane. Upstairs was orange and lime green, so that's gone <laughs> to grey and white. And so when people lease out the place, how many people could it sleep? We had 14 at Easter, so we had the three rooms, the queen-size rooms, and then there's a dressing room which we pull the couch out, and that goes into a double bed. So we had three lots of parents, the two teenagers, and then on the sitting room floor in there, yep. we put two big air, pa- air beds and the other four kids ah. were on the floor down there, and they loved it, you know, and that's what they said because... You put, you put, well, you put the fire on. Yeah. They've got their, their iPods and things like that, and they just loved it. And it's warm, you're on carpet. Yeah. Um, you're central, so you can park there and just go yeah. and do whatever you want, a sort of thing. And there's so much to see. And Canoundra's dead centre. Canoundra's dead centre. We worked it out the other day. So we're 40 minutes from Parks for Elvis Presley yes. Festival. We're 40 minutes from Forbes. We're 40 minutes from Orange, and we're an hour from Bathurst, 20 minutes to Cowra. So people just go driving, and I mean, here on the on the weekends, we just flat strap the whole time. The people to come and they're just blown away. You know, they walk in and go, "Oh my god, this yeah, is that's insane. what I thought." <laughs> yeah. So some quick stats: Cowra and Canoundra are about half an hour away from each other. They're located approximately forty-five minutes from Orange, Parks, and Forbes. About four to four and a half hours from Sydney and two hours from Canberra. The closest airport is Orange. It's most convenient to have a car to get to Cowra. For accommodation, in Canoundra, in addition to Montrose House, there's a great little motel called Riverview, where the owner also does Indian food for room service takeaway. In Cowra, there are lots of motels, and in the surrounding regions, you can find houses to rent. What wines to try? Being a warmer location and lower elevation, The Aussie traditional favourites of Chardonnay, Shiraz and Cabernet Sauvignon do very well here. But there's lots of Italian varieties being produced too, which are well worth checking out. A lot of the local restaurants and bars support the local wines, so you should be able to find them quite easily in town. I love detouring off the main highway and checking out some of the beautiful, charming towns in Australia. And Cowra, with its rich history and its great wines, is well worth the detour. Until next time, happy wine travels. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe now to get each episode as they drop. You can also check out this podcast on YouTube and see pictures of the region and the people I've spoken to. Go to winedelust.com.au. That's W-I-N-E-D-E-R-L-U-S-T.com.au for everything discussed today. You can also subscribe to my newsletter to hear all about my upcoming events and other news. Till next time. Happy wine travels.